It is an honor to get to be back in this pulpit again today, and it's good to see you folks. Thank you for the privilege of being here, and I look forward to the next couple of months that we get to spend this time together. Next Sunday, as uh, Secretary Hale said, next Sunday is my uh, is Veterans Day, and it'll be interesting to see how many of you can get back in the uniform. Tim did say that he is going to wear his uniform. He said that to me. He didn't say it to y'all. Now I'm saying it to y'all. So he's stuck. A preacher was having a hard time convincing his wife that he loved her. The chairman of the deacons didn't seem to have that trouble, so the preacher brought the chairman of the deacons in, and he said, would you tell me what you do that convinces your wife? I mean, y'all have this lovey-dovey relationship, and I just don't have that with my wife. Would you tell me what you do that, that causes this wonderful, warm relationship that you have with your wife? And he said, well, you know, it just kind of comes naturally. He said, one of the things I do, maybe you should do this. He said, when you get home today, just, he said, how long has it been since you've just given her a real good sloppy kiss? And the preacher said, well, that's not something that I just do. And he said, well, do it. That's what you need to do. And so the preacher said, I'll do it. I can do this. And so that afternoon after work, well, the preacher went home and, and he walked in the front door and he bucked himself up and, and he walked in. His wife was standing there with her up to her elbows and suds water in the kitchen. And, and he just walked in and grabbed her and bent her over backwards and planted a great big kiss on her. And she started crying and reached for the rolling pin. And he said, what did I do? And she said, Johnny broke his arm in the playground today and the, and the washing machine overflowed and flooded the basement and now you come home drunk. <laughs> when someone hurts you, what is your natural reaction, your first reaction? What's the first thing that you tend to want to do? Resort to personal retaliation or revenge by something you say or something you do? Is that what you tend to want to do? Or maybe you develop an attitude of resentment that can lead to self-pity or despair, or maybe it leads to depression. You know, depression is anger turned inward. And so you get angry and that helps you to become depressed. Or perhaps it even grows into a lifetime of hate. What happens to you when people do mean things to you in your perspective? Our text is Jesus' simple words on the cross. You're very, very familiar with it. But let's look and see what Jesus did when mean things happen to him. Luke 23, 34. The simple words are, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus had just gone through a period of time where people who he loved 
had scourged him, had spit on him, had run him through mock trials, had lied about him, had run rusty nails through his flesh, had lifted him up on a cross, had done all kinds of horrible things. Even his disciples have rejected him now and had gone off in different directions. All these horrible things had happened to Jesus and he hung there on that cross. And let me tell you something else. He wasn't just looking at the people who were there at the cross with him. He was thinking about you and me while he was there. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Today, Let's take a look at the practice of forgiveness. Now, this is the first message in a series of messages I call Attitudes and Actions of a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you call yourself a Christian, that's what it means. It means a little Christ or somebody who follows Christ. If you're going to be a Christian, then you want to use Christ as your example. If we can agree that Jesus is our life's example, then we can learn from him how to handle the unpleasant things of life. Jesus faced, he met, and conquered mistreatment by practicing forgiveness. Practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness means we give up the right to retaliate. Forgiveness means we work to restore a broken relationship. Forgiveness means we return good for evil. Remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he said, do good to people that are do bad to you? That's part of Jesus' teachings. So that's all part of what, Jesus, what forgiveness is about. Now, Jesus insisted his disciples, he insisted, his disciples, people who are going to follow him, practice forgiveness. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, practice forgiveness. First of all, Jesus taught that our practicing forgiveness is an element in our experiencing God's forgiveness. If we're going to be able to experience God's forgiveness, we must practice forgiveness ourselves. Mark eleven twenty five says, And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now what that is saying is that if we refuse to forgive others, we destroy our capacity to receive forgiveness. It's not saying you lose your salvation if you don't forgive somebody. When we were saved, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, all of our sins were forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Our sins past, present, and future were forgiven. Christ came into our lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us, giving direction. And we are saved for time and eternity. We are saved. But what it does say is that if we don't practice forgiveness, then we lose the ability to experience the joy and the fullness of God's forgiveness in our lives. We mess it up. We don't experience that wonderful forgiveness, the fullness of it in our own lives. I have a cousin. I assume I still have this cousin out there somewhere. He's about my age. 
And uh, the last time I saw him, we were about 18 years old. Uh, Carson, and, and I'm just a little over that now. Carson uh, and his mother got into a spat when about that time. And his mother, my aunt, said some things to Carson. And Carson said some things to her. And they got so angry at each other that the fellowship was broken and neither one of them would ever say, please forgive me, I'm sorry. Carson took off someplace and my aunt stayed where she lived in Novato, California and they never got back together, ever, because neither one of them would say, I'm sorry. And neither one of them would say, please forgive me. And when my aunt died sometime later, uh, Carson wasn't at the funeral. He didn't even know that she died, I assume. Now, what kind of a way is that to live? Because nobody would say, I'm sorry. Nobody would ask forgiveness. My goodness. Simply asking forgiveness can put so many things into perspective. Forgiveness is to be an act of grace. Grace meaning unmerited favor. It's something you do that may not even be earned. You just do it. It's to be an act of grace by the injured person. I may, you may have hurt me. I may be injured. But out of grace, I still give forgiveness. Luke 17, 3 to 4 says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, this is Jesus talking, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, we're not to wait to make sure, it says we're not to wait to make sure he has earned it. Of course, neither are we to be foolish and merrily provide more opportunities for the person to sin. Forgive while taking appropriate action. If somebody comes in and steals my stuff, I'm going to keep my stuff away from them. I may forgive them, but I'm not going to let them hang around my stuff anymore. You know, you've got to be wise at the same time that you do the forgiving thing. Forgive while taking appropriate action. Forgive a thief, but keep him away from your stuff. Forgiving does not mean condoning. I was talking to somebody just recently who said, how can I forgive that person? That's like I'm saying it's okay that you did what you did. No, it's not. If a person does something that's a sin or something that's wrong, you're, when you forgive, you're not saying that was okay. There are consequences to sin. If somebody commits a crime, they need to be punished for that crime. They need to go to jail if that's what the punishment is or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean that you need to hang on to that, uh, that punishment. That doesn't mean that you need to hang on to the bitterness that's a part of it. You can go ahead and do the forgiveness thing, and the punishment is still a part of, of the, uh, of the uh, uh, situation. Forgiving does not mean condoning. You're doing your part to help that person uh, become a better person when you go through, uh, when, you, when you do the forgiving. And forgiveness must not be limited. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, Peter asked Jesus, 
How many times must I forgive? And you remember this famous uh, response. How many times must I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy-seven times, depending on the translation that you have. Seven times seven. You, you just keep on forgiving. You just forgive and forgive and forgive. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must develop an attitude of forgiveness. Again, my series is Attitudes and Actions of a Christian. This is one of the attitudes. I think that there are default settings that Christians should have. And a couple of our default settings should be forgiveness and kindness. You know, you know your computer has default settings in it where if you just punch a button, everything goes back to that. I think that Christians should have default settings of kindness and forgiveness where we just kind of automatically do that. I think that's a good thing to do. Forgive. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must develop a forgiveness attitude. By the way, that passage in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, that says, if somebody offends you, go to them, and then if they still mess up, take somebody with you and go to them, and if they still mess up, take it before the church. That is not a checklist, okay? That, look at the principle behind that. What that is is saying, the principle is saying, deal with it at the lowest and quietest level possible. Now, there may come a time where you have to go all the way up, but just keep it as, you know, at the lowest, quietest level you can because that, that, keeps the body, that keeps the body together in a more appropriate way. All right. So why should I be a forgiver? I wrote down six reasons that we should be forgivers. You could probably add more reasons to it, but I wrote down six. Six reasons we should be a forgiver. Number one, Jesus told us to. If there were only one reason we should be a forgiver, and that was it, that's enough. Jesus told us to be a forgiver, and we just got through talking about that. Do it because Jesus said to. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's one of his commandments. Be a forgiver. Do it. Number two, it is essential for a healthy emotional life. You can become a bitter old person if you want to, but that's not very, that doesn't make you a very happy Christian, does it? Instead of harboring hate and anger and just becoming that bitter person, just forgive. Do the free. Now, I'm pointing one finger at y'all, I'm pointing three at me. I'm, so, I'm saying it's, I know it's easier said than done, but it's what Jesus said we need to be about. So it's essential for a healthy emotional life. Number three, a forgiving attitude is essential for a successful marriage and a successful family life and a wholesome family life, forgiving one another. Does anybody, has anybody ever had a family life where a little forgiveness didn't need to take place once in a while? Would you please raise your hand and tell us how you did it? 
Forgiveness in the family has to happen once in a while if you're going to have any kind of a any kind of a good family life. Is your family one of those where everybody holds grudges against each other? Forgiveness may need to take place. Be ye kind. Well, there's that default setting again. Be ye kind one to another, Ephesians 4:32. The five most important words in a family may be I am proud of you. The five most important words. Parents, how how often do you tell your kids, I am proud of you? Kids, how often do you tell your parents, I'm proud of you? One of the greatest things that you can do for your parents is to walk up and wrap your arms around their belly and say, I'm so proud of you, Daddy. Mommy, I'm proud of you. Oh, man, we just glow. When you do that, I'm proud of you. Thank you so much for doing that. The four most important words, what is your opinion? That's pretty good, isn't it? Ask for opinions. The three most important words, if you please. That's kindness, being kind. The two most important words, in the family. Thank you. Do you say thank you? The one least important word is I. Here's some more wisdom. One man said, I've had a happy marriage for many years because I whisper three words, three little words in her ear twice a week. Let's eat out. Mm-hmm. All right, number four. A forgiving attitude is essential to being an effective Christian witness. If you're going to be a person who says you're a Christian and you identify yourself as a Christian around other people, then you need to be a forgiver. Are you drawn toward those who forgive and are pleasant or to those who are bitter and angry? Who are you drawn to? That's a silly question, right? Obviously, the forgivers and the kind people, those are the ones that you're drawn to. You remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? When they were sitting there in the jail and things were going on and they were singing, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. No, they weren't. They were singing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven. Yeah. You know, they were singing hymns. They were singing praise songs. They were glorifying God because they had, and and then when the jailer was going to kill himself because he thought that they had escaped from jail, and Paul said, no, 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 don't do that to yourself. We're here. We're still your friend. And what, because of their witness, because they were kind and, and they were forgivers and all of that. What happened? The jailer and his whole family got saved. Now that's the kind of witness to be. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, be that kind of a Christian. The Paul and Silas kind of Christian. Be a kind person and a forgiver. Number five, forgiveness is essential 
for maintaining the fellowship of the church. I've been in a lot of churches. My dad was a preacher who never stayed in one church more than about four years. So I grew up going from church to church to church. And then in my adult life, I've, I've served a lot of churches as an interim pastor and this, that, and the other. And I've never been in a church where forgiveness didn't need to take place. It happens in every church I've ever, I've ever been around. Some forgiveness needs to take place. True, forgiveness is essential for maintaining the fellowship of the church. True, true forgiveness is not, I just want you to know I forgive you for being so mean to me. No. Rather, please forgive me for my part in the difficulty. And sometimes I'm not even sure what my part was. But maybe it's time just to say for me to say, I, whatever it was, forgive me for my part. Ask for and bestow forgiveness. Then move on in victory. And uh, with a smile, I said. We had a guy at a church that I was serving in Odessa, Texas. And I remember we were sitting in a meeting one time and the guy said, you know, God has blessed me with the gift of being able to tell what's wrong with stuff and what's wrong with people. God has blessed you with that gift? That's not a gift, that's a critical spirit. Anyway, don't, don't be like him, okay? It, yeah, it's, it's good to be able to discern things and then put them in the hands of God and, and work toward their correcting. But that's not a... Well, anyway, let's move on. Uh, remember that where there are two Baptists, there are three opinions. Number six, a forgiving attitude is essential for experiencing the power of God in prayer. If you go to God in prayer and you're holding something against somebody, your prayer is going to be weak. Just as at the Lord's Supper, we're instructed that if you have something against somebody, go get it taken care of so there won't be anything in the way between you and God. Remember, forgiveness needs to take place so that prayer can be effective. So nothing is standing in the way of full communion with him. Those are my six. You can add more to them, I expect. But the key bottom line is forgiveness. Asking and giving forgiveness is really, really important. Need to do that. So how can we develop a giving spirit? It's certainly not expected. It's more normal to react with hate than with love. But forgiveness is the godly way. And to, for, to achieve a forgiving attitude, we must be willing to develop that attitude. Sometimes we hang on to the bitterness because it feels good to be bitter. Don't do that. That's not the godly thing to do. Let go and let God have his way in your life. 
change your habit. Be willing to change the habit. Breaking old habits is difficult but rewarding. Maybe somebody in here has stopped smoking at some time in your life. You know how hard it was, right? It's difficult to break old habits. You can break the habit, though, because you did. And folks, we can break the habit of not forgiving, of hanging on to the bitterness. We can do that. We can give it to God. Ask God, well, we'll, hear, we'll talk some more about what you do. First of all, acknowledge that an unforgiving spirit is contrary to God's will. To solve any problem, we must first admit that there is a problem. Have you ever heard anybody brag, I don't get mad, I get even? Now, how mature is that? You're never going to get anywhere in your relationship with God and in your relationship with your fellow man as long as you have that kind of an attitude. Don't do that. Right now, right now where you're sitting, I encourage you to think of a specific forgiveness need in your life. Is there one? Think of, see if there's that kind of a need going on in your life. It may be somebody you loved or trusted who betrayed that trust. Or perhaps they were unkind to somebody you care about and you took up an offense. Whatever it is, identify them right now. And then let's go to the next step, what you do. Realize that forgiveness is the only sane way to deal with it. To deal with these painful experiences. Forgiveness is the only sane way. Now there are other things you can do. You can toilet paper their house. That's, that's speaking of mature things to do. You know. Or you can pout to get sympathy. That, uh, that'll really do good. That only hurts you and it makes everybody else disgusted with you. Or you can tell lies and say nasty things about them. That'll certainly come back to get you and it just makes the rift wider between you. You can get mad and stay mad, and that'll spoil your life. Why would you want to do that? Or just forgive them. Just forgive them and get past it. It's the only sane way. The third st step in developing a giving spirit is realize forgiveness can be a creative force for good. It's good for the forgiven. They didn't expect it. And it's good for the forgiver. It cleans the slate for us when we forgive. The slate was all dirty and messy. And now it's clean because we forgive it. Oh, it's so good to get rid of the baggage. Sure, you've been done wrong. But forgive and get past it. That's godly. Or maybe a heart search reveals that you really were in the wrong. Ask forgiveness. Fourth, realize you've been forgiven first. Colossians 4, 14. Forgive as the Lord first forgave you. When he was hanging there on that cross that I mentioned at the beginning of the message, he was thinking of you and me at the same time he was thinking of those folks that were around the cross. Our sin put him on that cross. Our sin. That's what he was doing there. And if he could forgive us, surely 
We can forgive people who do petty things to us or even big things to us because they didn't do anything more than what we did to Christ. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he bled and died for you and me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Our sin makes us among his crucifiers. So he was talking about us. Finally, keep asking the Lord to make you into a forgiver and practice forgiveness every chance you get. A young girl named Christina had all the family rules she could stand and decided to leave home. She just lived with her mom. And so she was about 17 years old and she just got sick of it, decided to go into the inner city and find some excitement. So she caught the bus and went into the inner city and her mom knew that the only way Christina could find to make a living would be to prostitute herself. And so her mom got what little money she could put together and she went into the city and she went to, she took a picture of Christina in better times and she went to a Kinko's and she had flyers, eight and a half by 11 flyers printed up, a whole bunch of them with Christina's picture on it. And then underneath the picture, she had printed, Dear Christina, whatever you have done and wherever you are right now, you can come home. I love you. And her mom took a handful of those leaflets and started putting them around all over down the downtown part of the city. And she put them on every lamp pole in every location that she could find, in every stairwell, in every uh, public building, every place that she could find to stick those flyers. She put them everywhere. And one morning, Christina, with a hangover, bleary-eyed, feeling awful, stumbled down the steps of a cheap hotel and stood face to face with her own picture. And she read, Dear Christina, whatever you have done and wherever you are right now, you can come home. I love you. And God did the rest. You see, godly forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. Are you forgiven? Does this message speak to you because you're a Christian? Or have you never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you not know him in that personal way that makes this real? Have you ever prayed to receive Christ, accepted his forgiveness for your sins? You know, the reason he went to the cross was to pay the penalty for your sins. Have you accepted him? Do you allow him? Have you allowed him through the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life to be your Lord and your master? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and to make him the Lord of your life and to give you eternal life, you can do that right now.
The reason Jesus came to the earth was to sacrifice himself so that we could have eternal life and to spend it with him. Would you pray to receive Christ right now? I invite you to pray a prayer that says something like this. Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I know my sin must be paid for by death. You know, that's Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. I now accept your death as payment for my sin. I invite you to come into my life and to be my master. I give myself to you. Can you pray that prayer? Give yourself to Christ right now. He loves you so. Accept his forgiveness. Christian, maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ today. Make him the complete Lord of your life and start exercising the gift of forgiveness that you have. Father, I pray that during this time now of commitment, that if there are those here who need to make a personal commitment to you, they will do that very thing. And that you will come into lives, that you will make changes as we are allowing you to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? And as you stand, if you need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, we'll have counselors here at the front. You make your way to an aisle and come down and take one of these counselors by the hand and say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ or I'm ready to recommit my life to Christ. Please pray with me right now. Would you come and give your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ right now? Christians, be praying. You make your commitment to Christ while the music is playing. Give yourself to him right now. Would you do that right now? This is the time. There's danger in delay. Just give it to Christ. Give it all to him right now. Now, just because we end the formal part of the worship experience doesn't mean that the invitation is over. If you need to speak to somebody about your personal commitment, but you didn't want to come up to the front, we'll be available. You can talk to one of the staff. You can talk to me. We'd love to talk to you about how you can give your life to Christ or how you can have a new life in Him. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you care so much that you sacrificed yourself to give us forgiveness. Help us to take seriously what you said for us to be about when you told us to be forgivers of each other. Thank you for this wonderful group of folks that have gathered here to worship you and to learn your truths. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Next week, we will be... Uh, because it's Veterans Day, 
I will be bringing a message I call Boot Camp for Eternity. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking about boot camp, but we'll all be, so be, be talking about how this life we have here is a lot like boot camp getting us ready for eternity that won't be anything like boot camp. All right? Thank you so much, and God bless you.